This is Offspin. Is there one strong argument you can give Patu to convince my mind that I'm not missing out on further gains by staying in equity? <laughs> what is that one thought that is it a is it an emotional thing is it a is there any logic like perhaps logic will help here it's just 5% that's how you allocate it you're not you're still going to be invested in equity your uh, future investments are also going to be in equity the, the investment that you're going to make next month is still going to be as per the 50/50 asset allocation you're still going to be in the market you're just going to pull out a small amount of so let's say you just pulled out um not even one slice of the cake you're just going to pull out one uh, the topping of one slice that's all this is that of spin original you've all been waiting for it's time for let's get rich with patu This is it. This is what completes the picture. These are the final few pieces to the puzzle. This is what we've been slowly building up to. Not that we are saying that let's get rich with part 2 is ending, but this is the crux of the matter. This is the main topic. The topic of today's episode is what next? I've started my investing journey. Um I have all the pieces of the puzzle in place at least depending on the last few episodes of let's get rich with part 2 insurance. you know emergency fund i've started investing it's trying to be 50 50 for you know fixed income and equity but what next that is today's topic right is my investing journey where i just let my sips keep building for the next 10 15 years without looking at them is my investing journey like that famous honda ad fill it shut it forget it right or is there something that has been missing and something that is missing also on online portals and nobody's creating this particular content but to what is this topic of what next all about why is it so important and why is there hardly anything online about this thing that ties everything all together yeah so um i think most of us um money managers as well as people who are uh, into content creating about personal finance and money they talk about products and they talk about uh which product is good which product is good for your tax etc etc and so on but there is very little discussion on the process the process of managing money how should i manage my money for a particular goal i i think yeah it's at this point it should be fairly common sense given the kind of content that we have that you choose an index fund choose a, a 40% or 50% fixed income and the rest in equity for long time goals assuming that you are like um you know 30ish or in your 20s that that's about it and uh what next is that enough so the answer to that is people are asking the wrong questions i've always said this uh, several times before if you ask the wrong questions you will never find the right answers so instead of asking can i invest here is this product good people should stop and ask how should i invest instead of where should i invest where should i invest a wrong question where should i invest i'm not i'm not saying it's a wrong question it's a wrong question to ask first that's probably the last question you should be answering 
So how should I invest? What is the process? Do I have an investment strategy in place? And that strategy should be something more than, uh, you know, keep investing, hope the market will uh, move up in future and I'll, I'll make the money I need. I think it has to be something better than that. Uh, like I keep saying, I think we need to respect our money a little bit more than that, than, you know, leaving it to luck and chance. So I think we should talk about how to create a strategy and that strategy should work regardless of market conditions. So that should be our aim. I think the crux of this episode, Patu, sorry, is that, as you said, some people want to get rich, right? They put a lot of effort, say if they've watched our show or they've suddenly realized I need to be really passionate about retirement. Uh, they put a lot of effort at that point when they start for the first time this entire analysis and they start on their journey. And then many people get busy. Uh, many people assign it to somebody. Just take care of my finances, please. Just please take care of my family's finances. Most of it is SIPs uh, because many people are salaried. Uh, most of it, what I'm trying to say is there's a large amount of effort at the start and then it's almost on autopilot. So I think perhaps that's the crux of this episode. What next? What happens, say, one year later, two years later, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and once you have your asset allocation, I, let's start at the base, at the start, right? But to say you're two years down the road, firstly, how do you look at it all together? Is there a way you recommend to you know, tabulate it? Is it Excel? Is there an app you can use? How do you see your net worth? How do you see your journey and monitor it idly on one screen, one dashboard? Or am I asking for too much? Because personally, if you ask me, I invest mutual funds, some directly through some companies, some through some other ways, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. I buy my insurance directly, I buy etc, etc. So how do I see an overview of all this? Is there any way that you recommend? So I think um, we should first answer how often should you do it and what should you look at? And I think the problem uh, there is many people look at their portfolios every day. They right. have apps today. They have a lot of stuff which can give you fancy graphs, pie charts and so on. And I think it's a waste of time. And it just makes you, uh, you know, a jittery because somebody is going to write um, just yesterday, there was like uh, there was a headline that said small caps uh, fell the la largest in yeah. the, and so on, and uh, you're just gonna uh, you know get unnerved by it, and you feel uh, you need to do something, hmm. you need to control the uh, fall, or you need to change because something else is moving higher than uh, what you have in your portfolio, and I think we should stop that practice of looking often if maybe not every day every week and there are people i know who send emails uh, from their uh, spreadsheets uh, every day every week and so on i think all that should be avoided yes the goal is we should set our portfolio on autopilot okay but the point is have we done the pre-flight checks first hmm. Then only you can set it on autopilot. And right? by pre-flight checks, you mean first identify what your goal goal is, right? And when I say goal, is it, you know, your rough number, say if it's 7CR, 10CR, whatever it is. That's the main thing, right? The work, using the 30 times yearly expenses, whatever it is, the tools you want. You first identify a goal, then you back calculate, and then you try and figure out how much you need to invest, right? Is that what you're saying about pre-flight checks? Yes, you have a clear 
goal based investing strategy it can be very meticulous or it can be thumb rule based mm. whatever it is write it down somewhere and say that is my objective everything mm. else so so like i said there are two problems one is people are looking at things often and right. the second problem is that they're looking at the wrong things often which would be uh looking at how much my portfolio gained every day what are my returns how much so which stock in my portfolio is uh, the highest gainer mm. the maximum loser uh, same for mutual funds which fund is uh, beating the index which fund is not beating the index so and so on and so on and so on you're looking at the wrong things mm. i'm not saying you shouldn't look at it it is But, human tendency ah, right it's very is, normal human behavior absolutely i yeah. i i would do it too but that should be one among other things and i should i would say that should be the last thing you look at so that's where the the prefect prefect checks come in you have an asset allocation and you start looking at so you in stock picking you have the uh, what you call the bottom top approach or and the top down approach can you so, describe what that is so you look at the uh, the business and then you look outward and then you look at the industry that's the the i think that's the bottom to top approach I'm, i may be wrong then there's a top down approach then you you look at the market you look at the players and say which companies are the ah yeah. uh, and so on so so we should have a top down approach so you look at first what is the corpus i need right what is my asset allocation to achieve it what is my current asset allocation and asset allocations will not change much initially it will not change much uh over a few weeks or a month so you don't need to look at that once a year so my recommendation is you create a plan start investing systematically look at your portfolio maybe every december as okay. a recommend as a recommendation because typically many people have vacations in december they have some time in their hands you have a Or Holidays. the valley break. Ah, oh, whatever, whatever yeah. gives you the longest set of, and spend no more than thirty minutes on your portfolio once a year. That's it. Wow. You don't need to look at it at all. If you're, if you must be confident enough to do that, hmm. right? And that is all the time you need. You don't need any more. If you, as long as you know what to look at, you need only thirty minutes. So what should we look at in that half an hour? This is so, quite exciting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So first, find out. uh check whether you have invested as per your investment schedule you're going to tell yourself i am going to put 10000 rupees for retirement for the every next month. 12 every month for the next 12 months right have i done that fair enough okay so that's the first check mark right have and you hit your regular investments and for and for freelancers don't feel left out here it is invest when you can right is that fair but In, invest when you can fair. but keep track and you know kind of make up for it sometimes things uh, you get a very good uh, set of you know uh, clients whatever engagements and you get a, a little more income than average then you make up for it sure. so and then you so those are things you meticulously uh, track so one of my precious assets i'm not sure if i mentioned is is one excel file that i've maintained for the last 12 13 years you mentioned it a few times yeah i think so so i <laughs> so that is my precious asset i once right. lost it i find i got it back so it were so uh that's when that's what gives you the confidence that you're doing well hmm. i would say track your the money that you're investing 
So what is it that feels good, Patu, that no matter what, you were consistent in your investing? Yes. Or it doesn't matter. Even if if you missed a couple of months, it doesn't matter. uh, uh, There was a period uh, when I could not invest regularly for almost two years. But I kept track of it and kind of made up for it later. Oh, so you keep a track of how much you're lagging behind and then try and make up. Interesting. Yes, that, okay. is, that is the first thing to always uh, keep a check on. So to counter you there, Patu, that's, suppose you figure out how much you need to invest every single month and you allocate 100% of that to an SIP. Isn't that doing it for you? And then... Ah, uh, there's a... Yeah, it, sometimes it'll work, sometimes it won't. So... Tell us why. Why? What is wrong with the SIP part of this entire systematic invest? I have nothing wrong with an uh, with the SIP. The problem with an SIP is that um, sometimes the uh, I mean uh, you may need to spend a little more. So you have your SIP for ten thousand, fifteen thousand, twenty thousand, whatever. But sometimes a month or two, your expenses can be a little bit higher, and then it will it will pinch you. If your, your SIPs withdraw that money and then you are left with nothing. Interesting. Hmm. So I had this trouble uh, early on. I also used to you know think nothing more than I, every time I wanted to invest more, I will start an SIP. But then what happened was that it became very difficult for me to manage my expenses. I can't run to my uh, emergency fund every time my expenses fluctuate because of inflation. See, some there are months where uh, in a year when vegetable expenses are slightly higher because Absolutely. of you know, yeah, you can't go to your emergency fund. If you go to your emergency fund for that, how do you replenish your emergency fund? You're going to replenish your emergency fund from your income, right? right. So it's so so you must have some flexibility in your take-home pay to you know handle these kind of vicissitudes, uh, monthly you know ups and downs in expenses. This is a very reassuring thought that. You know, you may fall short a few months, but that's fine. Yeah. And I think that's why the I stop SIPs personally as well. And it feels so good to hear this. Yeah, no, right? I, I, I strongly recommend people to stop SIPs and manually push in as much money as they can afford to every month. Maybe at the end of the month. Because now when they know that, uh, know this expenses are more or less, you know how the rest of the uh, month is going to pan out, maybe in the last few days of the month, last week of the month, and you know you're going to get your salary next month for a salary again. Uh, But that flexibility gives you some peace of mind. Because if you lock money into SIPs, you're in trouble. Yeah, and the amazing flip side of that problem of SIPs also is that perhaps... If you keep it at a low limit so that, you know, perhaps you don't, your monthly expenses are not affected, then that's too low. Then you're not investing enough. Exactly. Right? A lot of people make the mistake. They will ask, see, many people ask me, can I invest 10% of my take-home, 5% mm. of my take-home? No. You have to invest a lot more. So, yeah. therefore, you can't lock away that money in SIPs. You will have trouble managing your uh, day-to-day expenses. So, and I strongly believe manual investing is though is disciplined investing. SIP has nothing to do with discipline. SIP is just automation. We talked about this before. You you can't become disciplined just because you set something on autopilot, right? And that has got nothing to do with it. So I think we should manually push in as much as we can and keep meticulous track of it. And it doesn't matter if you you start investing in January uh, on December that year, you say you have done nothing. Mm. But that's you must have a good reason for that. 
not because you you know splurged on this and that but there must be some unexpected thing where you could not uh, that's absolutely fine you're going to make up for it later okay so, great so in that first hour hour we look a uh, first half an hour sorry uh, we look at if we've been regular in investing how much we are lagging behind perhaps what next is important to look at so do we have a plan to make up for it if we uh, have been lagging and or how much more am i going to invest next year the thumb rule i have is 10% 10% should increase every single year ideally but it's very hard very very hard because it will keep compounding 10% imagine your money growing crazy, at 10% yeah. it will exponentially grow it is uh, uh, just that that i have it so happens that i'm lucky to achieve financial independence quickly because my investing rate is close to 22% I've been increasing my investing the year on year. year on year. Of course, like wow. when I look back at it, at twenty two percent. So I've always been higher than that ten percent. That is where the uh, the wealth part comes in. Hmm. People people ask me naively, uh, okay, so you say you're uh, you've hit financial independence. Tell me how much you invested and how much is the gain in the market. You know how much you've gained. the profit and how much is when i tell them the numbers percentage numbers they say oh is that all i thought money will be 10x 15x multiply no it will be a very very you know timid number maybe 3x 4x 5x that kind of number it's a timid number because we have said this before you need money to make money so yeah. the, stay the, invested right yeah, that's stay invested and, but meticulously plan how much more you are going to invest and try to uh, exceed the target when you exceed the target you get a little bit of satisfaction right a little little joy that I'm sure that it's a is, lot of joy yeah <laughs> but but that is where i uh, i mean those are things in my control i cannot control what happens to the market so there's right. no point i think it's immature uh, to look at my investments and say oh yes my small cap funds have gained 300% uh, in one month that's not going to last what has the overall corpus gone is that the yeah. main thing that's not going to last so you have to look at what's what's matters and you have to ensure that the volatility in your portfolio that is your portfolio is going to grow of course it's not going to grow nice and smooth like an exp, uh, like you see in a excel sheet it's going to fluctuate but can you uh, control the fluctuations you should not know up go up and down like that how do you control it one is you choose a portfolio which is not heavy on small caps that is Uh, a kids game and i think we should not be playing that we should just there's enough money to be made in the large cap segment maybe a little bit in the mid cap segment for those people who are you know who have severe fomo uh, or not need to, to be more aggressive because they're <laughs> yeah. late no, I, that aggressive thing is a i think it's um, that's wrong it's dangerous I, i should stop uh, saying it perhaps yeah no i am an aggressive investor i just mentioned that i i've invested i've increased my investments every year at 22% that's the aggressiveness you need yeah that is the aggression you can control you can't be aggressive in the market somebody else is you know pulling the uh, uh, no the cards you can't do anything about it so i you can't say i'm i'm aggressive i'll be 100% equity i'll have 80% of small caps that's not aggression what goes up fast will come down just as hard so uh, that won't work so i think our goal should be to choose products that will beat inflation but you should also contain the volatility because it's not in, uh, enough if your 
uh, investments outperform the market when the market is moving up or you know goes along with the market how much does it fall when the market falls that's where uh, you make the money that's where the money stays with you if you look at the people who have fund managers who have bet the market consistently of course there are few only few of them and so on that's a different matter they would have always done well during downturns right by well and, you mean continue to put in money in or no, selected but, the products that uh, have the kind of a portfolio which is not too volatile right uh, right it doesn't chase uh, uh, momentum and so on so that should be our goal our goal is to build our wealth but our the fluctuations in our portfolio should not be excessive Right. and today there are apps where you can plot these fluctuations there are uh, i mean i have a excel sheet too and so on google sheet too and so on but that's not the point so so first thing is we track our investments next is we look at our asset allocation how much has the asset allocation changed hmm. from our target asset allocation and the current one so how much is, if it has changed by more than 5% i would say it's time to do a reset and wow. that okay. that that reset is what is known as the re rebalancing right so let's say you start with 50% equity 50% fixed income the next year because of a bull run whatever it is 57% equity right which means you need to sell 7% of your uh, equity corpus and shift it to fixed income but that's so hard to do but how does one emotionally and mentally overcome because i want to stay invested at on one end you're saying stay invested but now you're saying pull out from equity and and make it safer so is this the crux of the matter uh that is where the the discipline comes in so the whole, it's rebalancing is very counterintuitive because you are being asked to pull out money from an asset that is That's performing well ah uh, to an asset that is not doing well relatively right so that is very hard to do that is possible only when you have your eye on the bigger price hmm. and your bigger price it's is quite not a those shift. yeah it is the, uh, the your bigger price is achieving your corpus but achieving it with as low fluctuations as possible it, so you have this so imagine you have this uh, line this is your uh, path right from where you are today to the corpus that you want tomorrow in excel it will be a nice smooth curve with the expected returns and so on your corpus is going to grow it should grow about this line it should stay close to this line at any point in time that is the uh, whole uh, aim of portfolio management if i have a uh, uh, portfolio that fluctuates wildly then i am in trouble initially it's okay but after that you are you can't manage it so uh, i would suggest that you rebalance but not every year the uh, typical portfolio manager would, would say do, do it every year but if you do it every year you have to you know pay some exit load maybe you have to pay some tax depending on uh, the amount you have to but you don't need to do it do it every uh, uh, once in few years when the portfolio increases by 5% more right. than 5% of your or it has fallen down uh, so if you look at equity uh, a crash can lower it from 50% to 40 42% then you will have to shift some isn't that equally tough taking money out of your fixed income to put into equity 
So here's my question to you, Patu, and if you're comfortable answering this, how many times have you done this rebalancing in your however many years of investing? 15 years, is that right? So, close to that. So, um, yeah. So uh, it depends. So in my for my child's portfolio, which I maintain separate from my retirement portfolio, for my child's portfolio, I would have rebalanced three or four times. In and, how many years? Uh, over this um, 13 year period. But right. two or three times among those four times, I would have rebalanced twice in a year. I see. Because uh, I do a rebalance in March because of the 5% offset. Then after a few months, again, the market is still moving up. I would have, uh, uh, you know, have to do a rebalance again. The benefit is that today I have, so today my son is 13 and a half. Uh, he's still five years away from college, four and a half, five years away from college. But for the past uh, three, four, five years, I have been having enough funds in my fixed income alone to pay for a UG, maybe even a UG plus PG. Wow. So, and that is only, um, what is that? 40, so uh, 45, 50%, approximately 50%. So the rest of it is still in equity. Hmm. So the that is the benefit. So I have now uh, at the peak of the market, you pull out because you know you, the market won't stay high forever. It is going to fall. And when it falls, if you do not do the rebalance, you're going to regret. Right. So I avoid that regret. And when the going is, it's just like gambling. You, you just quit when you're ahead. When it's going, it's I'm not saying it's... This, it's gambling, but I'm just saying the logic is the same. When it's something is giving you extra returns, you know it's not going to last. So mm. you better safeguard that. And that is how you uh, tell yourself to pull out money from a perf uh, you know uh, well-performing asset class to something that's not so well, uh, doing so well. And is there one strong argument you can give, Patu, to convince my mind that I'm not missing out on further gains by staying in equity? Like, what is that one thought that is it a is it an emotional thing is it a is there any logic like perhaps logic will help you uh, it, it's just five percent that's how you allocate it you're not you're still going to be invested in equity your uh, future investments are also going to be in equity the, the investment that you're going to make next month is still going to be as per the 50-50 asset allocation, you're still going to be in the market, which is going to pull out a small amount of... So let's say you just pulled out um, not even one slice of a cake. You're just going to pull out one uh, the topping of one slice. That's all. That's all. The rest of it is still in equity. The rest of it is still going to make you money. Because it's not... Uh, uh, equity is not just about you know getting money when the going is good. You have to have enough resilience when the when the going is not going uh, so good and the problem is i would rec i would think 80% of capital market participants today have no idea what a bear market is is at all they have no idea they have just been uh, looking at the market since 2013-14 and uh, since then we have had only um, one bear market from 2018 leading up to the corona crash that's the that's the bear market period about two and a half years that's the smallest and after that they've had it's it's been a uh, it's been great times it's been great times 
it's not going to last. The part that kind of excessive parting is not going to last. You can't uh, keep hitting sixes every over. You have to defend and uh, you know there are going to be bad patches and you're going to be ready for it. So that is the point. So you again, it's eye on the price. So, so I can now uh, take more risk for my son's portfolio. Sure, yeah. Because I've already got it. And, I, and, and uh, my equity portfolio is not going to go to zero overnight. Yeah, it's going to take a hit. Let it take a hit. At my, my dream is I just keep pushing my uh, little bit, little bit uh, rebalance and build my fixed income. The rest of the money I'm just going to add to my retirement corpus after he's done with college. Right. So, yeah, that's how. I think that's a good time to call a close to this first part of this entire topic of rebalancing. But to, before we go... What's the main difference between rebalancing and de-risking? So I think we should talk about de-risking in the in detail in the next part. So rebalancing is basically a reset of your portfolio of your of your asset allocation to go closer back to that fifty fifty or whatever your yeah your target whatever is. It was, yeah. yes. But it's uh, also important to recognize that your target asset allocation cannot always be the same. You start with fifty fifty or sixty percent equity on whatever. But as you head closer to your goal, you Fair. will have to slowly decrease your equity allocation. And uh, how we do that and so on, we can talk about it in detail in the next episode. Thank you so much, Patu. I'm kind of half convinced that it is very important to do this. I'm just looking for that key thought that will say, hey, Patu is absolutely right. And I think you're partly there when you say it's only 5%. It's kind of, it's, you have to be a little conserving when we have the eye on the prize. I think these are the key words. Keep your eye on the prize. Take out some, skim off the, skim some of the fat and keep it uh, and protect it. I think you have let, something coming up. Yeah, let me add. So just assume that uh, we have the Lok Sabha elections coming next year. Yes. What if it's a hung parliament? And what would it do to your stock market? What if there is a, uh, you know, um, coalition kind of government uh, and they pull out after a year there's a new coalition they pull out after a year why do you think the market was so turbulent in the 90s one of the reasons was we never had a stable government in the 90s it was very difficult to form that so it can happen anytime uh, a huge crash uh, a sudden crash like what happened uh, in march 2020 i would say that's not as scary as Years and years of, uh, you know, moving nowhere. No momentum. As you say, the bigger enemy to our corpus is not a crash, but it's a sideways market for many years. And that will that will teach us a very hard lesson of, oh, I should have rebalanced then. That, but but that's to, the... before we end, then there's another thing that's coming to my mind. How does one time that rebalancing correctly? What if you only do it in December and you missed something important during the year? Um... It, so, I would suggest that initially once a year is enough when you are, um, you know, but after one decade or or so of investing, so once you are a little bit uh, down the journey, then you probably need to have a quick look at your asset allocation twice a year. Right. Or you look at it when the market's doing extremely well. I mean, you are always going to be uh, hearing news from it somewhere and say, oh, it's a bull market for the last six months. 
and then that's going to uh, uh, trigger something you go back look at your portfolio if it's more than 5% rebalance thank you so much patu i think uh, this is a lot of thinking and this is something that you just don't find on the internet often enough or enough of and we'll see you on part 2 of this episode where we talk about de-risking uh, and we perhaps give you case studies of three different people in three different life journeys to represent the large part of the market one person who is in their mid 20s has just started investing somebody who's in their mid 30s who's been investing for 10 years and somebody who's perhaps has only 10 years to retirement and how these different scenarios and timing and asset allocation and de-risking and rebalancing matters so much on the next episode of let's get rich with patu patu thank you take care bye bye you just heard let's get rich with patu an offspin original isn't it the coolest show you've heard in the indian podcasting space and even if it isn't what's the point of getting rich alone right share this show with those you care about and perhaps even with those you don't care about but make sure you share this show with only those who you don't mind being richer than you the music on this show was created by patu's biggest fan rajesh ravi and everyone on the offspin team had some part or the other to play on the show Let me name them quickly: Harshdeen Srani, Krishank Das, Sandeep Banerjee, Arif Chagla, Anand Krishnan, Rajesh Ravi, and Heer Khan. Heer, by the way, is also to be blamed for giving Patu his gangster look, which is how he looks on a daily basis. Um, and me, Sadan, your host. Let's get rich is available on all audio platforms wherever you consume your podcasts. So spread the word, and we'll see you next week. You know we do this show only to help you guys, right? But if you're listening and you're that one person who has perhaps lost money and are holding it against Patu or me for making you lose that money, then not only are you a mean person, but you also need to listen to this legal disclaimer. This podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only and does not constitute any financial advice. Views expressed are not official positions of financial institutions or Patu or mine for that matter. Although we strongly believe in them, listen to this disclaimer even more carefully. We recommend consulting a qualified professional before making decisions. We disclaim liability for inaccuracies or losses from using this information in our show. By listening you agree that the host, guests and producers are not only awesome people, but they are not responsible for your financial decisions or outcomes. This is Offspring.